Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. I'm Lee, and I am ecstatic to be with you right now as we discuss the final Theophany in the Theophany series. I hope this has been a worthwhile listen for all of you. I hope that it's been beneficial and encouraging and challenging and all those good things. Um, We're going to talk about Isaiah 6, which I think to me is one of the most um, interesting and affecting of all the theophanies we've talked about. Um, And it's one that I came to uh, really begin to understand and to enjoy uh, because of R.C. Sproul. So we're going to talk about that, and then at the end, I'm going to announce the winner of the giveaway for A Year of Prayer by John MacArthur. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, let's get started. We're going to look at Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 7 primarily, and we may talk a little bit uh, of about the, uh, the last few verses of the chapter, but um, the bulk of it is going to be the first seven verses. I'm reading from the ESV this time, not the usual NASB, so be warned. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So as I said before, I began to pay attention to this passage because of the work of R.C. Sproul. I started listening to him regularly uh, during my time in college. This would have been 2010 to 2011. And a passage that he would return to often in the uh, in the episodes of Renewing Your Mind that I was listening to, and then also in his book, The Holiness of God, is this appearance, this theophany in Isaiah 6. And he would always come back to the holy, holy, holy aspect. And I think this was a text that was pivotal for him in his own um, development uh, as a Christian and, and as a theologian and a teacher, that we have to keep the main thing the main thing, and that central to God, to his character, and to his work is that he's holy. And that's why the angels sing holy, 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 the three, the, the repetitions, um, to say that word three times as a signal of the perfection of God, perfect in holiness. Um, and that was something that certainly captivated R.C. Sproul and, and through his teaching captivated me. So this is a, a special passage for me, for sure. Um, and one that that fits this criteria of a theophany, because like our previous episode, this appearance of God, while it may not be before a certain person's face, uh, 
embodied a person standing before Isaiah. He is seeing it in a vision. He has been transported uh, to the very throne room of God. So this is sort of the, the, the other side of a theophany. Instead of God appearing before the face of a man, we now have a man appearing before the face of God. And as we see, uh, a good amount of terror comes with that scenario. People may be able to mistake God for just an average stranger, for instance, in some of the other theophanies. But here, there's no mistaking who you're standing in front of and how much you don't deserve to stand before him and live. But I'm getting ahead of myself as usual. Um, a little bit of context for this passage. It references, at the very beginning, King Uzziah, who had been one of the good kings, I guess, but he didn't end well. He actually ended up dying as a leper um, because of his uh, his sin in leading the nation in sin uh, in his last years as king. He actually um, had to have a a regency involved. He had like a, a, a co-ruler because of how ill he had become. Um, but it had been a very prosperous reign. And so this would be a, a pretty significant marker for people um, who would be reading Isaiah's account later to know exactly what time this was happening because he was obviously very famous and somewhat beloved, I would, I would think. Not only that, but we also have to remember the context of the actual book the, the five chapters before this are a bunch of doom and gloom passages, uh, passages about judgment on Israel and the fearsome day of the Lord that's coming. So th this hasn't been a happy book up till now. And Isaiah is reminding us that things are not happy. Um, the king had, had died. The king had died in controversy which is also not good. And then in the midst of all this judgment, uh, all of these um, dark messages that Isaiah has been given, uh, now we, we see the opposite. We see holiness himself uh, displayed before Isaiah. He sees the Lord, and this is not the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. This is the title rather than the replacement for the uh, tetragrammaton here. So he's using a title for God. This is the um, Adonai in Hebrew. So he sees the Lord, but it's still it's still God. Uh, just one of the names. Upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I, I think this is such an interesting contrast to Uzziah, who, as I said, died tragically, died having... Uh, committed sins and fallen as a leader um, in the course of his life. And here is God, by contrast, who had no beginning, has no end, is not going to die, is not going to, his, not only is he not going to die, his reign will never end, and uh, he's going to reign the entire time in absolute perfect holiness because he can't do anything other, um, neither would he desire to that he is holiness. Uh, in fact, the only way people can be holy is to be credited holiness. You can't even earn it. You have to be given his holiness, the holiness of Christ, his righteousness. And we don't get that by rights just because we are human beings. We receive that 
only after our sins have been taken away. We've been that we've repented and believed in Christ and been given not only freedom from our sin, the forgiveness of our sin, but then also the the very righteousness of God, the righteousness that's on display before Isaiah here is the garment that the Christian wears before God now, uh, which is just absolutely mind-blowing to think about and so gracious. And we're going to see um, uh, an obvious show of grace in this passage uh, as we keep going. And uh, God's God's train, the train of his robe filled the temple. So he's not only in a throne, in a throne room, but we're talking about a temple here. This is a king that rules in the midst of a temple. No king on earth would ever deserve to do that. In fact, anybody who would attempt to take the temple for himself uh, was guilty of a capital offense under the law. Um, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Uh, the, the whole subject of angels in the Bible is really fascinating and confounding. Um, there's actually been quite a few interesting YouTube videos put out there about biblically accurate angels uh, because, you know, the, the ones that we see in art really don't match the descriptions uh, that are in the Bible. And actually, the descriptions we see in the Bible are pretty frightening. And as far as the biblical descriptions of angels go, this one is actually quite tame. Uh, these would be, and maybe this was for Isaiah's benefit, it's hard to tell, but it appears that these angels are somewhat human-like. Uh, later in the passage, we see that the angel has a hand, and he grabs a, a coal off of the altar um, and touches the mouth of Isaiah with it. And so we we see here that they have six wings. Uh, with two, he covers his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. So, um, somewhat humanoid uh, looking, and like I said, I, that maybe that was for Isaiah's benefit, that, that that form was given to them for that. Maybe these seraphim do look like people. It's hard to tell. It's sort of beyond us. It's pretty mysterious. But what is interesting and concrete here is the fact that these beings, which humans are created lower than, right? This is this is a being that's higher than humans, but not as high as God, right? Um, they have they have extra wings to provide covering for themselves before the throne of God. They cover their face, and they cover their feet as well, regardless of whether they fly with the other two wings or not. They're, they're covering, they're humbling themselves before God. And these are angels that haven't fallen. You know, these aren't sinning angels. These are angels that are obeying God, adoring God, and singing His praises, and yet they still humble themselves. And I have to think back to when we, we looked at the, the burning bush theophany, and Moses is instructed to remove his sandals and stand because the place where he stood was on holy ground. And I think that's so fascinating that these angels who have never committed a sin before God, uh, are covering their feet when they're singing his praises at his, in his throne room, at, at the foot of his throne. But then sinful and continuously sinful, Moses actually removes his sandal. He removes the covering of his feet 
he uncovers his feet, so to speak, and stands before the appearance of God in the bush. God really does desire to be with his people, unmediated. And there is a level of communion that sinful humans have with the holy God that even the angels don't have. In First Peter, uh, we're told that uh, the, the good things that have been revealed by the Holy Spirit regarding our salvation are things into which angels long to look. But it doesn't, it's not for them. That, that work, that salvation is for humanity. Um, I, I, I find that so fascinating and almost backwards because you would, you would assume, just thinking uh, in human terms, that the angels should have the unmediated access to God. You know, that they should not have to cover themselves because they, they haven't sinned. They're following their orders. They're singing God's praises perfectly. So why, but why should sinful people who hate God by our fallen nature, um, how can we ever be in God's presence unmediated? Well, the thing is, you can't stand before God's presence without a mediator. That's why we have Christ. Our sins have been taken away, even though we still deal with sin, even though we're still in the fight of sanctification against uh, the desires of the flesh, we do have access to God through Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, it's an amazing truth that um, I find myself forgetting all too often, trying to, trying to muscle through things on my own or by my own strength and forgetting the work of my mediator. That's just one of the ways that I <laughs> sin. So, um, We don't have to have wings to cover ourselves. We're covered in the blood of Christ, and that's a much better covering before a, a holy God. And so because of our sins being removed from us and the righteousness of Christ given to us, we can completely understand the song of the angels and even take part in singing it ourselves. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That theme is factored into quite a few hymns, um, and, and even in the Psalms, too, in different places. Um, this is a song that shouldn't be a foreign idea to any Christian. And in fact, if, if it is a foreign idea, then you've been getting some pretty bad teaching. Something that's interesting here, where it says the whole earth is full of his glory, that is such a buzzword in the Old Testament. And it's a buzzword for the presence of God with his people. I, we don't have time to look through them now, but if we go back to when um, God was traveling with the Israelites after they left Egypt and he, and he was in the cloud, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, that's referred to as his glory. Uh, the same thing is said at the institution of the tabernacle, that the glory of God resided there. And then, of course, the glory of God enters the temple when it's completed as well. So glory being related to the presence of God, the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his presence. Uh, we have general revelation, according to Romans 1 and Psalm 19, that testify that there is a God. Yes, this is not the special revelation that we have the, the great privilege of studying in the pages of Scripture, 
but there's enough of a testimony just among the created world uh, to God's presence, to his existence, and to his glory. Now, that testimony won't give us his name. It won't give us any of his attributes, but it will take away our ability to say that no one told us there was a God. Uh, we do know there's a God, and the the whole world that he created um, tells part of that story. So at their song, the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called in the house was filled with smoke. Pretty scary. Uh, smoke, uh, maybe even uh, the smoke of the uh, incense that, that's burnt in uh, Old Testament worship, perhaps the smoke of sacrifices. Um, these, these same things are present in God's throne room here as they were in the temple. And so I, Isaiah has only one option. He has only one thing to say, and it's the first time he speaks in this book. You know, he's he's writing this message, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. But here, Isaiah is speaking his own words for the first time, and they are condemnation of himself. Woe is me, for I am lost. Yes, you are. You're a sinful man. I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think it's interesting that he chooses to speak about himself having unclean lips and his people having unclean lips. And I think that has something to do with the fact that he has now heard the perfect praise of the holy God from the mouths of angels right in front of him. Uh, again, angelic mouths that have never spoken a sinful word or, or uttered a sinful um, retort to anyone or, or done, any, done any evil. But he has, right? He's a sinful man. He has told lies before. He has slandered people before. Um, there's all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of sins, right? The the tongue is an unceasing fire, right? That James says, who can who can tame the tongue, right? So we have to agree with him too for ourselves that we are also people of unclean lips. Um, we, in our very nature, we've blasphemed against God with our words. We've claimed uh, in our hearts and in our actions uh, or even just in our minds that we hate God as natural people. We may not be cognizant of that, but that is what that is. Our sin is rebellion against God. And we can, we can come up with different ways of sinning uh, uh, very easily. We dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he knows this because he has seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You know, it's easy to go with the crowd when, you're, when your only option as a person with unclean lips is to hang out with other people who also have unclean lips. It's pretty easy to, to fall in with the crowd, to blend in, to do as everyone else around you does, to do as everyone else around you does. But when you're, especially in this case, you're literally standing before the face of God, and you haven't yet been struck dead, it's pretty easy for you to think, oh man, I have really been a sinner. I have, I am so bad. I speak so uh, uncleanly. Uh, I am so unfit to even hear this angel choir. Um, I'm, I'm done for. I'm toast. I'm lost. 
and he's right. You know, there's there's nothing wrong in what he's saying there. And that's true of every one of us, that we are lost. We're sinful. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we can't, if we're gripped by that in our hearts, we can't solve that on our own. We need help. We need to be raised back to life. We're not just sick and in need of medicine. We're dead in need of life. And so since uh, Isaiah has complained of his dirty mouth, he gets some gracious help for that. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So this is this is the gospel message, granted, put pretty weirdly. Um, but we have a man who recognizes that he is a sinner, that he has sinfully used his mouth, that, that he has a sinful tongue, he speaks sinfully. And so God sends one of his attending angels to take a burning coal off of the altar. This isn't just out of some bonfire somewhere, right? This is, this is a coal that heats the sacrificial fires of the altar where people bring their animal sacrifices. Uh, they bring uh, drink offerings, all sorts of offerings, and they go on the fire, on the altar. So this is, this is a very important, significant coal, right? This is, no, this is no average coal. This is a coal from the altar of sacrifice, the altar of God that's in his actual throne room. And he touches his mouth with it and says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Only God can remove the sin of a human being. You can't do it on your own. He, If he had gone and grabbed a coal off of his own cook fire at his house and said, Here, God, I'm taking, a, I'm taking away my sin before you. Witness me taking away my own sin and then burned his mouth. Uh, what would he do? He would just limit his ability to speak, but he would not take away his sin. So he could burn his lips off, sure. Uh, it's almost the, it's the same scenario where Jesus talks about if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, he wasn't telling people to maim themselves. He's saying, he's overstating, he's using uh, figurative language that we have to cut off those things in obedience in our life. So if there are things that cause us to stumble, then we need to cut ourselves off from those things. Because if you were to just simply cut off your hand, well, you have another hand that you could sin with. And in this same thing here, he's not merely uh, getting hot coals applied to his lips. Because um, you can still sin in your mind, even if you don't have the ability to speak. You know, we're very good at sinning as people. No, instead, something more significant is happening here, that he is, his guilt is being taken away. You say you have a dirty mouth? Well, then let's clean it up. This is like the heavenly version of getting out the lava soap. <laughs> when we talk about kids saying a curse word and uh, either mom or dad goes and gets the bar of soap and washes their mouth out, right? Um, sometimes even lava soap, which is uh, very rough and abrasive. Um it's, it's a similar principle, except this actually does something. Uh, doing that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. This does. It, he, God is taking away the sin of Isaiah 
Um, and he's doing it in a way that Isaiah even can understand. Because sometimes salvation is hard for us to understand. And pictures like this help me understand what goes on when my sin is forgiven. He says that he has a he has unclean lips, and so God cleans his lips with uh, with fire from the altar. So your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Those are excellent and sweet words for us to remember. Uh, it's a powerful example of grace from the Old Testament. Um, a lot of people try to say that the Old Testament is nothing but doom and gloom and judgment and destruction and war, and the New Testament is almost like a new God shows up. Well, definitely that is not the case, and it's examples like these that remind us that we see God's grace all throughout the pages of Scripture, not simply in the gospel accounts or in the New Testament letters. Uh, we, we're seeing grace right here at the beginning of Isaiah. And in, in continuing through the book of Isaiah, there's grace upon grace uh, that's mentioned here um, in, in this entire book, and let alone the rest of the of the prophets too. They come with their own messages of judgment as well, but um, there's judgment and grace in every single one of them. So I, I will just briefly talk. This is a, has become timely, this last section of the chapter, because uh, President Joe Biden grossly misused um, God's utterance in verse 8, where he says, I heard the voice of God of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Um, the president had used that to, to speak about the deployment of American troops, and um, that's just not what this text is about. <laughs> it's This is a specific commission for Isaiah, and it's a commission to go to the nation of Israel and pronounce judgment, yes, and pronounce grace, but pronounce it in just the profoundly weird way that God uh, commissioned prophets to, to tell the truth. You know, you can remember, uh, if, you've, if you've read Ezekiel recently, uh, you may remember uh, that Ezekiel had to do some pretty weird things. You know, he had to lay on his side for a long time. Um, he had to, he had to make he had to bake bread over his own dung, using his own dung to light the fire, which is kind of funny. Another example of, of a biblical passage that people have just completely ripped out of its context, uh, that bread that he bakes, uh, the recipe for Ezekiel bread that you may find on your grocery store shelf is a bread of judgment <laughs> that was supposed to be baked over his own poop. So uh, not exactly uh, the best... Uh, way to market your product, but that's beside the point. This this portion here is um, pivotal to the ministry of Christ as well, because um, Christ used um, parables and stories and sayings and discourses that are confusing sometimes, and he says that he speaks in parables and quotes this passage, that hearing they do not hear seeing they do not perceive, uh, what's the point of that? That the message uh, must be spiritually discerned. 
Paul talks about how he didn't come to the uh, Corinthians with lofty speech, um, heavy arguments, uh, flowy words. Uh, he didn't try to convince them with eloquence. He used the folly of preaching to proclaim the message, and people were saved. Well, I think a similar thing is on display here. Isaiah is going to say a lot of things in his book, and they're very hard to understand sometimes. But time and time again, the Holy Spirit has used those words to teach and admonish and it's even to bring people to knowledge of their sin and repentance before God. Um, these are things that must be spiritually discerned. And so when we see the world mocking Scripture or mocking Christians for believing Scripture on a variety of topics, whether it's um, having to do with the pro-life issue, of uh, believing uh, when human life begins, if it's mocking creationism uh, as opposed to evolution, um, mocking our beliefs on uh, human sexuality and what is what kinds of of unions are sinful before God and which are blessed by God. Um, I will even say during this uh, pandemic, uh, some of the ways that some folks have stretched the um, the command to love your neighbor as yourself, or even Paul's argument in Romans 13 about the civil magistrate. People will take these things and make them say whatever they want because they don't get what the author has to say. The world will take words from Scripture and make them say whatever they want because they don't know the author. These are things that have to be spiritually discerned. You have to know God. You have to know the grace of Christ. You have to be saved. Um, you have to have your sins removed from you and Christ's righteousness given to you before you can truly understand and benefit from the Scriptures. Yes, uh, lost people can study the Scriptures. They should. They should read. And there's countless times where people have been brought to faith in Christ at the hearing of Scripture, right? But it's the work of the Spirit that brings those people to their knees asking God for forgiveness for their sins. It, they can't logic their own way there. Um, they can't just happen upon that because of their emotional state when they read a passage or heard a passage read or preached. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when we see here, keep on hearing and do not understand, keep on seeing and do not perceive. That's a hard thing to hear, but... This is how the work of the Holy Spirit is made evident to us, because these things are completely unintelligible to the world, to the way the world thinks, to the, the sinful worldview that we have by default as sinful people. But these same things, when we're redeemed, when we have our sins removed and we live a life of repentance and faith in Christ, looking forward to the day that our faith is made sight, these very same passages, which are confusing to the world, are precious to us and mean so much to us. In fact, they mean so much that we study them and uh, write them out in our journal or 
Um, pray them in our times of prayer. Uh, memorize them and meditate on them when we're at work or driving or things like this. Um, it's because they're spiritually discerned that only the Holy Spirit can get the credit for us loving God's law, for loving his word. And we love his word because we love him, because he first loved us. That doesn't make any sense to the world. We have to be shown that. We have to be taught that by the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's that's a little bit of what of what that's getting to. But and also slightly beside the point of the theophany itself, but we can't we have to look at all these things in context. There's a reason that God called Isaiah to his throne room and showed him this and prompted him to make that confession that led to the angel placing the coal on his lips, which then proceeded to his calling to go and speak to Israel and to write and and to publish this prophecy that we now benefit from so many years later um, because God's word stands forever. All flesh is like grass and fades like the flower of grass, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Okay, just briefly here at the end, I want to announce that we do have a winner in the Year of Prayer book giveaway, and it is none other than Kobe Muncie. So I will uh, get in touch with you, Kobe. Uh, so thankful for uh, you listening to the show for so long and truly being a friend of the show. Um, it, you're a stellar dude. I'm so glad uh, to call you a friend as well as a listener. Um, thanks for sharing the silly tweets that I tweet <laughs> and for for all your helpful feedback uh, since the start when this was Guys with Bibles. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to send you this book, and uh, I will get it to you very soon. So thanks, Kobe. There will be more giveaways to come because I've got quite a few books here that I just simply do not have room for on my shelves and would be better off on somebody else's shelf. So um, keep an eye on the social media. Keep an uh, open ear to the podcast for more announcements like that. And, uh, and I thank you all for listening. Uh, if you would like, you can find Reformed Meditations on Twitter at Ref Meditations. That's R-E-F Meditations. Uh, also on Instagram at Reformed Meditations. And you can email me directly at reformedmeditations at gmail.com. You can find all those links in the show notes. And while you're at the show notes... Follow the link to the Bar Network website. The Bar is an ever-growing network of gospel-centered podcasts with really fantastic hosts. Um, it's such a privilege to be on this network, and I'm so stoked uh, to be at G3 this year. Um, so I'm finally going to meet so many of the people that I've gotten to know through the Bar and have a great time. So if any of you listening are going to be there, truly drop me a line on Twitter um, maybe we can work work up a, a bar network meetup of some kind of hosts and listeners. So it would be um, absolutely fantastic to do that. Um, really excited about this time, um, September 30th through October 2nd. It's going to be awesome, and I hope to see some of you there. I'm going to keep talking about it until it actually happens. So, um, all right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening to Reform Meditations. Uh, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.